0: too On behalf of Calvary Chapel Reading, welcome to the Bible teaching ministry of our senior pastor, Jim Jarrett. Here's Pastor Jim with today's study, designed to help us grow in the Word. You may be seated. For 11 Sundays, and I'm sure for some it seemed like it was longer than that. But for 11 Sundays, we looked at what the Word of God has to say about what's happening in America and what's happening in the church. And it was 11 weeks of hard, often uncomfortable truths from God's Word. Truths that, that paint a pretty bleak picture. And that's not being pessimistic. Uh, it's being realistic. Because the scriptures give us a realistic view of life in a broken, fallen world and what we as Christians should expect. And so from that, in that sense, all of that should have been very encouraging for us and very comforting for us. And certainly things are not as bad as they could be or as bad as they've been in other periods throughout history. But as we approach the second coming of Christ, things are going to get worse and worse. The Bible tells us that they will. And today as Christians, uh, or today in the church, in this country especially, Christianity has become so watered down and weak and anemic that so many don't want to hear the hard, difficult truths uh, that God's Word contains. And it reminds me of John 6, when the people there that had followed Jesus, the multitude actually, when they found out what it really was to follow Christ, they all left, all of them. And so Jesus turned to the disciples and said, are are you going to leave too? And of course they didn't. But the Christian life is not a a bed of roses, it's not an easy road, rather it's a hard road, it is a difficult road that we travel. Uh, and we have to keep that in mind. We're traveling. We're just pilgrims on our way to uh, the eternal city, which is our real home, where our citizenship is, where our Lord is. And on this travel, on this trip through this world, it's difficult, and it's going to get worse and worse. The Bible tells it is. And so as Christians, we we should have a realistic view of the world and the church, but as Christians, we are also very optimistic. I mean, we are very optimistic about what God is doing in this sin-darkened world through the Lord Jesus Christ, aren't we? I mean, God is continuing to save. God is continuing to deliver men and women and boys and girls from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of, of light and life. He's continuing to build his church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. He's continuing to equip his saints with the work of ministry and to advance his kingdom in this world. And those are all things that we should rejoice in. As Christians, we rejoice that Christ is on the throne, ruling and reigning, that that all things are under his control, that things are not falling apart, they're simply falling into place. And so we can be encouraged in knowing that now is our salvation nearer than when we first believed. And this morning, as as we stand on the threshold of a new year, with, with all of its uncertainties, We have the assurance of knowing that no no matter what happens, the Lord Jesus Christ will keep us in his loving care. He will lead us, guide us, direct us, provide for and protect us, just as a shepherd watches over and cares for his sheep. Jesus, the, the chief shepherd, the great shepherd of the sheep, will be present with us and see us through whatever lies ahead. And we can be encouraged in that. And this morning, I want us to turn to a passage of Scripture that is, that is of great comfort and encouragement, especially after 11 Sundays of hard truths from the Word of God. <laughs> and I can think of no better text for us to turn to than Psalm 23. We just sang it. So please take your copy of God's Word, turn, if you will, to Psalm 23, one of the most loved passages in all of Scripture. And while you're turning, let me just say this. This is a, a, would be considered a psalm of confidence. It's a psalm of confidence written by King David to express his, his confidence in the Lord's care for him. And as David reflected on, on that care, he realized that it was very much like the care of a shepherd for his sheep and also the care of a host for his guests. And in this psalm, David is not praying. Rather, he is he's not asking God to do something for him. Rather, he is rejoicing in what the Lord has done and continues to do in his life. It is a testimony by David to the Lord's faithfulness throughout his life. So I'm going to ask you to stand as I read this beautiful psalm of David, Psalm 23. Psalm 23, beginning now in verse 1. The Lord is my shepherd, Surely, goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Amen. May the Lord bless this reading of his word and our time together in it. You may be seated. Well, let's look now at verses 1 to 4 as David describes the Lord's loving care for him as a shepherd's devotion for his flock. David begins in verse 1 with the words, the Lord is my shepherd. Now remember, David had been a shepherd. and So he knew what it was to oversee every move of the sheep. He knew what it was to guard them and protect them. He had killed lions and bears who came after his sheep. He, he knew what it was to guide the sheep, to provide for their needs, to see, what, to see that they were well fed. He doctored them when, when they were injured or sick. He, he loved his sheep. And as David thought about the the, the Lord's loving care for him throughout his life, he likened it to a shepherd's love and devotion to his sheep. And he said, the Lord is my shepherd. And the name for God that David uses is Yahweh. It's the covenant name of God, which literally means I am who I am. It's the Old Testament name of God first disclosed to Moses at the burning bush. And this name speaks of God's self-existence, his self-sufficiency and his timelessness. Yet David tells us here that God, the the great I am, the self-existent, all-powerful, all-sufficient God has chosen to be our shepherd. And so when David says the Lord is my shepherd, he's making quite a statement. Especially in light of the fact that in ancient Israel, as in other ancient societies, the job of a shepherd was considered the lowest of all jobs. Shepherding was a lowly, lonely, and despised occupation. Shepherds were, were the lowest of the low in society. I mean, they were outcasts. Yet David tells us here that the great I am. The God of the universe has stooped to care for you and I as a shepherd cares for his sheep. That, that's amazing. And it's incredibly comforting. The Lord is my shepherd. And the word shepherd means literally to tend a flock. To make friendship with or to keep company with. And in in saying the Lord is his shepherd, David is saying that he knew the great blessing of being guided and taken care of by God. And David's message to us in this psalm is how God, his source of guidance and provision, was also his closest friend with whom he loved to spend his time. And the rest of the psalm really lists the benefits of having the Lord as our shepherd. And you'll notice that David said, the Lord is my shepherd. He did not say, the Lord is a shepherd or the shepherd. He said, the Lord is my shepherd. I mean, David knew that he belonged to the Lord. And so this is very personal and intimate. It's it's an overflow of David's personal experience with God. The Lord, he says, is my shepherd. And David, in making this statement, is referring to God the Father. But when we as believers read the 23rd Psalm, we know that, that our Lord Jesus is called the Great Shepherd. Peter referred to him as the Chief Shepherd. And Jesus identified himself as the Good Shepherd in John chapter 10, verse 11. He said, I am the Good Shepherd. The good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. And then a little further down in John 10, in verse 14, he said, I am the good shepherd, and I know my sheep, and am known by my own. And so when you and I, as believers, read these opening words, we can't help but insert the name Jesus. You know, Jesus is my shepherd. He cares for me. He watches over me. And if you're a believer... You are under the loving, watchful care of Jesus, the good shepherd. And the Lord is your shepherd. So let me ask you, do you, like David, belong to the good shepherd? I mean, God was David's shepherd. Is he yours? Can you truthfully say the Lord is my shepherd? Can you affirm that the God of the universe is this very moment your shepherd because you belong to him? Because, you see, he's not everybody's shepherd. Is he your shepherd this morning? And, of course, the way to have Jesus as your personal shepherd is to turn to God from sin and and believe in, trust in, rely upon his finished work upon the cross as your only hope of salvation. And so this morning, if you cannot say, the Lord is my shepherd, then I want to encourage you to put your faith and trust in Christ alone and embrace him today as the one who forgives sin and enables and empowers us to live for him. Well, because the Lord was David's shepherd, he didn't lack anything he needed. Notice again, verse 1, he says, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. And maybe you were like this, but I remember as a young boy in Sunday school reading this and wondering, well, if the Lord is my shepherd, why don't I want him? Of course, the word want doesn't, does not mean desire. He's not saying, I, I don't desire him. The word want means lack or need or be lacking. And so it could be translated, I shall not be in want, or I shall not lack, or I have what I need. And the Christian Standard Bible actually translates it that way. The Lord is my shepherd, I have what I need. Left to themselves, sheep lack everything. Because they are the most helpless animals. Extremely helpless. But David's point is that if the Lord is our shepherd, if we belong to him and we're being shepherded by him, we will never lack God's perfect supply for our every need. And and need is the key word here. When David says, I shall not lack, or I have what I need, he does not mean that... He has everything that that he could possibly desire. He's not speaking about prosperity and abundance, that that will always be his portion. He's not advocating a health and wealth prosperity gospel. He is not suggesting that life will be all sweetness and roses with no difficulties and heartaches. Neither is he claiming that he will always have the best job and the biggest house. Now, David does not presume to guess at what his earthly circumstances will be, but whatever life might hold, David knew this. He knew that his needs would be met by his shepherd. And although he most certainly did not have everything he could desire, he had everything that he needed. And he was confident of God's loving care, and he knew the result of the Lord's provision is that he would never lack anything the shepherd knew was good for him. And as we enter this new year, again, it's full of all kinds of uncertainties and no doubt will be full of difficulties and trials. We too can be confident of God's loving care because he is concerned about all of our needs. And this is a a great comfort in in uncertain and difficult times. As God's sheep, we will never lack anything our good shepherd knows is is good for us and our spiritual and physical well-being. As a result of being under the care and guidance of the good shepherd, David tells us what we will not lack. It's spiritual nourishment and contentment. Look at verse 2. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. The first phrase there, he makes me to lie down in green pastures. David is painting for us a picture of the sheep lying down, not on some barren hillside where the grass is brown and and dried and withered with with little or no nourishment, but this is a picture of the sheep in in the tender grass, the, the green grass that will do them the most good. Now, certainly a sheep may in its rebellion wander off into a barren area, but it's not led there by the shepherd. And David's point is simply this. Spiritual nourishment and and the contentment that comes with being well-nourished is only found by those who have the Lord Jesus as their shepherd. Just as a shepherd leads his sheep to fresh green grass, so the Lord leads his people into the rich green pastures of his word. Because you see, the word of God is to us what green tender grass is to the sheep And just as tender green grass is able to nourish and sustain the natural life of a sheep, so the Bible uniquely is able to preserve and strengthen the spiritual life of every child of God. And the Word of God is a green and sufficient pasture to feed in. It is fresh and pleasant. It's rich and and satisfying because the Bible is the storehouse of eternal and divine truth. And God's word is the divinely appointed food for the soul of the Christian. And we cannot live in a spiritually healthy condition without feeding upon it consistently. I mean, Jesus said in Matthew 4.4, 4, It is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. I mean, apart from the word of God, our spiritual life will wither and shrink and become sickly and unhealthy. But the sheep who follow the Lord, they'll never lack any spiritual nourishment. The Lord feeds our souls primarily upon the green pastures of his word, the the truth of his word as we read and study it and as we consistently sit under the teaching and preaching of it. And so this challenges everyone who knows the Lord to highly value biblical preaching. And it also soundly rebukes all of those preachers who lead their people away from the green grass the Lord has provided in his word to the brown withered grass of human wisdom and philosophy. I mean, under shepherds or, or pastors are expected to feed the flock of God, the, the word of God, as food for their soul. And when a shepherd genuinely cares for his flock, he's going to lead them to the green pastures of God's word where they can eat and and be nourished and and get full and be satisfied and, and grow and mature. But the sheep have to eat, don't they? Now, can you imagine then a shepherd leading his flock to, a, to, to lush green grass, but, but the sheep stubbornly refuse to eat? I mean, what would the sheep be like in a week if, if, they, if they don't eat? What would, they be able, or would they be able to survive a month if their stubbornness persists? A Christian who doesn't feed upon the green pastures of Scripture is in the same danger. I mean, his spiritual life will weaken and, and the health of his soul will very quickly deteriorate. I mean, you show me a Christian who is consistently having trouble and, and problems that they just can't seem to get through. And I'll show you someone who probably is not spending much time in the Word of God or in fellowship sitting under the, the teaching and preaching of God's Word. For a Christian to neglect the gracious provision of God's word and the preaching of it is is the height of foolishness. It's the height of foolishness. As John mentioned, that is how our minds are transformed. That's how they're renewed. They're transformed by the renewing. Our minds are by by the word of God. We're to be transformed by the renewing of our minds. And how does that happen? Through the constant input, intake of the word of God. And so God in his goodness has provided us with the lush green pastures of his word which feeds our spirits, fills our minds and the end result is peace and contentment. And when sheep are well fed, their natural response is to lie down and to rest in contentment. The Lord is our shepherd. He'll make us to lie down in green pastures. David tells us he'll also lead us beside the still waters. And the word lead speaks of gentle guidance as distinct from forceful driving. And so the shepherd leads his sheep beside still waters. Still waters in Hebrew is literally waters of restfulness. Streams where rest and refreshment can be found. I mean, the sheep are afraid of turbulent water and they don't like stagnant water. And so the good shepherd leads his sheep beside still waters. Restful waters, quiet waters. And as God's people, we often find ourselves in need of spiritual refreshment because we live in a wearying and exhausting world. And even our fellow sheep can be trying at times, can't they? And so where do we find this refreshment? We find this refreshment when we contemplate the greatness of God and and all that he is, all that he has done and continues to do. We find refreshment when we meditate upon the gospel and and drink of his grace by pondering Christ's ongoing intercession. When we call to mind his promise to come again and to receive us unto himself in eternal glory. I mean, all of these refreshing, comforting, and encouraging truths and, and many, many, many more are found where? Where are they found? In the Word of God, yes, thank you. And so we're back to the Bible again, aren't we? It's the green pasture in which we may feed and the refreshing water from which we may drink. And still waters is just a beautiful expression and depicts for us the the peaceful and calm state of the believer whose spirit is constantly refreshed as the Holy Spirit works through the Word of God in his or her life. As we follow the Lord Jesus, trusting him, seeking after him with our whole hearts, as we abide in him and drink of his grace, we'll be able to say with David, he makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. With the Lord as our shepherd, we also will not lack in forgiveness and restoration. And this is because, if you look at verse 3, David says, he restores my soul. He restores my soul. I mean, sheep generally look like very docile, harmless animals, right? I mean, no one one worries about walking through a field of sheep. They're not worried about being attacked by a killer sheep. But most shepherds would agree that underneath the appearance of all that innocence is a stubborn streak of self-will in the sheep that causes them to wander off into places that they should not go. And it's this characteristic that David also saw in his own heart. He knew his tendency to wander away from God and and to be drawn back into sin. I mean, David David knew what it was to be in that condition. In fact, David himself strayed far, didn't he? And on many occasions, he mentioned this and and deeply grieved over it. But at the same time, he also was able to rejoice that his divine shepherd would never leave him and always restored his soul. I mean, David had sinned grievously. But God forgave him when he cried out in brokenness and and contrition. And God restored him to that place of fellowship and intimacy. And in both Psalm 23 and Psalm 119, David testifies to the faithfulness of God in restoring us from the consequences of our stupid and willful rebellions. But even though David strayed away, he did not and he could not stray beyond the long reach of God's arm of grace. And just as sheep stray, just as David strayed, just as he sinned, so do other followers of the Lord Jesus, namely all of them. Because it doesn't matter if we've been a a Christian for a few months or 40 years, there is this proneness in our nature to wander into sin. I mean, like the old hymn, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it, prone to leave the God I love. And every one of us here this morning knows what it is to be a rebellious, wandering sheep and to stray from the path that God has called us to. You know, some enticing diversion in the world or some desire of our old nature lures us to separate ourselves from the rest of the flock and, and from the shepherd. But you see, the fact is, a straying sheep is still a sheep. And the Lord always cares for his own. And so the good news is that, it is, is that if you or I, as one of his sheep, wanders away We have a loving shepherd who will pursue us. He will come and get us, lift us up, get us on our feet, forgive us, and restore our souls. I mean, thank God we have a gracious, loving Savior who actively seeks us out to bring us back to himself. I mean, every child of God is in the grip of grace. I mean, mighty, unrelenting, stubborn, pursuing grace. And for that, we should always be thankful. For the Lord is our shepherd, we'll not lack guidance. This is because, if you look back at verse 3, David says, He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Sheep are arguably the dumbest domestic animal on earth. And so we know that when the Bible calls us sheep, that's not a flattering term, right? And they really are the dumbest domestic animal. Sheep require more careful handling and attention than any other type of livestock. Unlike other animals, sheep lack a sense of direction. They they can become easily lost. Even in in the most familiar environment, they easily wander away from the flock. And so the shepherd must continually guide them to paths of righteousness or the right path if they're going to, to be moved from field to field. And the paths of righteousness is literally the right tracks. And the word tracks is is literally wagon tracks. The word righteousness or right indicates that the path chosen is the right one, but if God is leading, it's also the righteous one, and so there's a double meaning to the expression. And the Lord Jesus, our good shepherd, leads us and guides us into the right paths, the right way, the correct way. And the point is simply that God never leads anyone in the wrong way. He never leads anyone in an unrighteous way. He always leads in the right way, on the righteous path. In other words, God leads us in the way that is in conformity with what he has revealed to us in his word. And so you see, this verse will not allow us to claim the Lord's leadership for anything that in any way contradicts or is opposed to the word of God. God never leads anyone into sin. God never leads anyone to say or do anything that in any way contradicts his word or is in disobedience to his word. I mean, people, someone is not granted a special dispensation so that they can live in sin at the Lord's leading. Not going to happen. The Lord leads us in the right way, the right paths, the righteous way. And whether we are strong in the faith or weak, we need this divine leading. And to a great degree, whether we are spiritually weak or strong depends on how diligent we are in following God's leading. And loved ones, we'll never reach a point in our Christian walk when our past experiences or our present knowledge will make it unnecessary for us to be led by God. I mean, we're never going to get to the place where, hey, you know, we can handle this on our own. It's not going to happen. We need his guidance and direction through the minefield of this world. I mean, God, by his word and spirit, guides his flock effectively in the right way. He knows the right paths on which to bring the sheep home safely, and he never loses any of his sheep along the way. All of this God does, David tells us, for his name's sake. And the term name is frequently used in the Bible for the idea of reputation. In the ancient world, a shepherd's reputation depended on his ability to lead the sheep in the right direction. And if he lost the sheep or lost, or lost the way home, he would get a bad reputation and be known as a worthless shepherd. Well, David affirms that the Lord's reputation depends on his ability to guide the sheep safely home on the right path, which he certainly does. And Jesus said in John 6 that his sheep follow him. And he could also declare that of all that the Father had given to him, he would lose none. He leads his people in the right path and, and will bring them safely home to the Father. Not for our sakes. Not primarily for our sakes. No, but for his name's sake. For the honor of his own glory, which is the highest of all of his motives and with the Lord as our shepherd we'll also never lack his presence and protection look now if you will at verse 4 David says even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death I will fear no evil for you are with me your rod and your staff they comfort me now this verse is often used to comfort those who are dying and I've often used it in that way and it's certainly not wrong to use it in that way I mean, God is absolutely present and is a source of great comfort in a person's dying moments. And that's the blessed hope of the believer, isn't it? People uh, who don't know Christ, uh, they don't want to think about death because they're afraid of it. But as Christians, we don't have to fear death because Jesus rendered it inoperative. He has taken away the power of death, the sting of death. So for the believer, death is no longer a threat. It's it's no longer an enemy. Death is not the end. It it simply brings the soul of the believer to heaven. It's merely the portal through which we enter into heaven. And although this verse is often used to comfort those who are dying, the Hebrew in in this verse doesn't necessarily point to death, although that, that could be involved. Rather, the language points to a fearful place of extreme danger and darkness, a dangerous environment. And the Hebrew word for shadow of death is used in Amos for the deep darkness of night. Jeremiah uses it figuratively for distress and extreme danger. And so this verse primarily speaks of the shepherd's presence as well as his protection in places of extreme danger and darkness. sometimes the shepherd had to lead his sheep through some dark valleys because the valley is usually the best route to the, uh, the higher summer feeding grounds. But as the shepherd leads his sheep from the lowland pastures up through the valleys into the mountain pastures where they spend the summer, there are dangers involved. The valleys leading up to the mountains are subject to flash floods. And wild animals hide in the shadows, just waiting to pounce on unsuspecting sheep. And so at any moment, the shadows in the valleys along the canyon walls and the rocks could could literally become shadows of death. And no doubt David had often found himself in such places. Places so dangerous that he might not have gotten out alive if God had not been with him. Perhaps those times he killed the lions and the bears to protect the sheep. But David knew that even though he walked there, he would fear no evil or no harm. And it's worth noting that in verses 1 to 3, David uses the third person, he, to refer to the Lord. But when he speaks about times of trial in verses 4 and 5, David shifts to the more intimate second person, you. You are with me, he says. I will fear no evil for you, are with me. And it's also important to note that the valley of the shadow of death is as much God's right path for us as the green pastures which lie beside still waters. Why are the sheep going through the valley? Well, the reason the sheep are going through this valley is because the shepherd is leading them. The path through the valley is also one of the paths of righteousness in which God leads. God also gives us valleys. The Christian life is not always tranquil, and it's not always a a mountaintop experience. There are also valleys that are full of trials and and tribulation and tragedy. You say, well, why in the world would a shepherd lead, lead sheep into a valley filled with danger and death threats? Well, the only possible answer is to get to some better place. Right? I mean, the valleys, of the, the valleys of the shadow of death are only pathways to the greener pastures. And Sometimes Christians express a desire to, to walk on a higher plane of, of Christian experience. You know, they, they want to have a closer, more intimate walk with the Lord, a, a deeper understanding of the things of God. They, they want to grow and mature, and, and all of this is great, and, and we all should desire those things. But we often mistakenly think that God airlifts His flock to such a place. He doesn't. The only way to higher ground is to walk with the Good Shepherd through some frightening valleys. Frightening valleys where you despair at times even of life itself, as the Apostle Paul. But it's in the valleys of our lives that we find refreshment from God Himself. In fact, it's, it's the times of difficulty and trouble of life that draw us closer to God and, and turn our theological platitudes about God's mercy into genuine, urgent cries for His help and mercy. And God leads us through the valleys Because it's in the valleys with their trials that our faith is stretched and strengthened and it's there that we develop character. Someone once said, mountaintops are for views, but fruit is grown in the valleys. And that's exactly right if you know anything about agriculture. And so God leads us into the valleys, but when we enter the valleys with all their trials and tribulation, we don't have to fear. That's what David is telling us. We don't have to fear Why? Because our shepherd is close. The Lord Jesus, our good shepherd, is always with us and will protect us. He's he's the only one who can protect the sheep and and calm their anxieties and fears. And as believers, we are never in situations the Lord is not aware of. Oh, at, at times we may feel like he doesn't know. We may even feel like he doesn't care. But he does know. And he does care. Because he's our good shepherd and he cares for his sheep. He loves his sheep. He lays his life down for them. And the Lord is always with us. And he himself promised that he would never leave us or forsake us. And it makes me think of the Lord's words to uh, Israel in in Isaiah 43, 2 and 3. But he said, when you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. When you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned, and the flame shall not consume you. Why? For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. And we could add our shepherd. See, loved ones, we have to remember that, that the good shepherd does not provide contentment by keeping his flock from trial but rather by providing his comforting presence in the midst of trials. That's when you draw closer. That's when you come into a deeper understanding. And so even though we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, though dark and difficult, through dark and difficult times, we don't have to fear because the Lord is with us. The Lord is with us. David said, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. He doesn't say there, there will be no evil. There will be. Why? Because we live in a fallen, evil world. The shepherd's presence did not eliminate the presence of evil, but rather the fear of evil. We don't have to fear any evil because the Lord is always by our side. Wonderful account I read about David Livingstone, the missionary to Africa many, many years ago. One night he was in the the heart of Africa, surrounded by hostile, angry tribes, and he was tempted to flee, I mean, to run, to just get out of there. And he read the Lord's words, Go therefore and teach all nations, and lo, I am with you always, even until the end of the world. And after reading that, he wrote in his journal, It is the word of a gentleman of the most strict and sacred honor. So there's the end of it. I will not cross furtively tonight as I intended. I feel quite calm now. Thank God. And years later, when he was receiving an honorary doctorate from the University of Glasgow, Livingstone said, Would you like me to tell you what supported me through all the years of exile among people whose language I could not understand and whose attitude towards me was always uncertain and often hostile? He said, It was this. Lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. On those words, he said, I staked everything, and they never failed. And the presence of, of the good shepherd does not eliminate evil. Rather, it eliminates the fear of evil, and it allows us to be content, even in times of great fear and uncertainty. And so no matter his present environment, David could look to the fact of God's shepherd-like presence and know, you are with me, and therefore I will fear no evil. And loved ones, you know, it's during the hard, difficult times that we experience in life, and and we're going to have them. It's during those times that we have to remind ourselves that uh, we don't have to worry or be afraid. Oh, we do, but we don't have to. Why? Because the Lord is with us. And that's not just uh, uh, you know, something we learn in Sunday school. It's not just a nice little platitude with which to encourage people. It's the truth. It is the truth of God's Word. The Lord is with us. And we're never so conscious of the Lord's presence as when we pass through life's valleys. David said, I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. He said, through. And what an encouraging word that is. And how thankful we should be for this word, through. And the valley of death is not the stopping place for the child of God. It's not not our destination or dwelling place. It's It's a traveling place. Matthew Henry said that the saints of God will not get lost in it, but will come out safely. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. The rod and the staff are the shepherd's equipment to protect and guide the sheep. The rod was a club the shepherd used to kill predators, and the staff a a long pole, which was used as a walking stick, but is also used to round up the sheep and to guide them along. And the rod and staff are are seen here as sources of comfort and instruments of protection and direction. But they were also instruments of correction. And whenever necessary, the Lord, as the loving shepherd he is, will use the rod or the staff for correction, because most of his sheep need this ministry from time to time. You see, if a sheep continually wandered off for the the sake of of, of that sheep's well-being, the shepherd would take drastic action to correct his behavior. He would take his rod or his staff and he would pop one of the sheep's legs, breaking it. And then he would mend the leg and, and then he would leave that sheep with all the others in the green pastures by the still waters. Now when the sheep heals, You think it's going to be as prone to wander off anymore? Do you think? Well, you would hope not, right? Well, the Lord works with us in a very similar way, doesn't he? Because sometimes it's necessary for our own spiritual well-being for him to break our legs, spiritually speaking. And the Lord has a way of, of teaching us how to surrender our will to his and how to follow him into the green pastures and and beside the still waters. And it's a great comfort to know that God will correct us when needed. You see, he loves us that much. Uh, He loves us so much, he's not going to leave us the way that we are. You know, I I hear many people speak about God's unconditional love, and certainly it is in the sense that he accepts us the way we are. He loves us uh, unconditionally in that way. But he loves us far more than unconditionally. Because unconditional love means that you just love somebody in that condition and you're completely willing to leave them there. You're just going to love them in spite of it. That's not the love that God has for us. He accepts us, brings us in unconditionally, but God loves us too much to leave us in that state. So our entire life is, is is a process of sanctification. God loving us enough to continue to work in us to change us more and more and more and more into the likeness and the image of Christ. So he loves us far more than unconditionally because he's not willing to leave us the way that we are. He loves us too much for that. And so David was comforted by the Lord's presence and protection, and and we should be too. Because with the Lord as our shepherd, we will never lack his presence and protection. And now in verses 5 and 6, David changes metaphors. The scene changes to a banquet hall. And here David pictured the provision and goodness given by the Lord as a gracious host inviting him to a rich table where he was provided with lavish hospitality. Now some people, like Philip Keller, see this as the shepherd's preparation of of the high tablelands or mesas where the sheep graze in summer. However, the psalm ends with the psalmist dwelling in the house of the Lord forever. So it's probably better to see this as a gracious host welcoming a guest to his banqueting table. In fact, John Stott writes, the scene changes. I am no longer out, out of doors but indoors, no longer a sheep in a flock but a guest at a banquet. And we'll approach it from, uh, in that way. David says in verse 5, if you'll notice, please look at verse 5. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. David says, Lord, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. Now, in those days and in that culture, according to custom the host was obligated to protect the guest at all costs. His hospitality guaranteed the security of the guest, and so the guest was safe. Sitting down to to eat and drink in the midst of danger from enemies is an incredible picture of the Lord's gracious care, provision, and security. And what was comforting to David was that in the presence of his enemies, in other words, despite impending danger, the Lord spread out a table for him, provided for him, and protected him. I mean, God's care could not be negated or destroyed by his enemies. And you see, the believer is in the same position because the Christian life is a continual battle. And if you've been a Christian uh, not very long at all, you understand that. The Christian life is a continual battle. Spiritual enemies are all around us, and the battle is very real. But the table of mercy and grace is spread for us, not only when things are relatively easy and comfortable, but also in times of our greatest need. The good shepherd is not restricted by the presence of enemies. When they're doing their best to destroy his sheep, he calmly prepares a table so that the sheep can feed and be nourished under his protection. And David emphasizes the abundance of God's care in these terms. He says, you anoint my head with oil. My cup runs over. The image of anointing the head with oil, which was refreshing and soothing, goes right along with the gra- a gracious host welcoming someone into his home. Because you see, in those days, when a guest arrived in your home, it was customary and hospitality demanded that the guest be given oil to freshen up and wine to drink. The scented perfumed oil soothed the the skin, particularly the face in that dry climate, and the wine cleared the dry, parched throat. And so the guest enjoyed the richness of his host's goodness. He was refreshed by a head and face anointed with oil. His cup was filled to overflowing with the most satisfying choice, wine. And in this way, the host indicated that nothing was to be considered too good for his guest. And so David is declaring that God's care uh, far surpasses even this. The abundant supply of God's grace in David's life was more than sufficient to strengthen and sustain him in the most dangerous circumstances. I mean, he's telling us that God is an infinite source of all that we as believers need to live in any situation, even the most difficult situation. And such gracious care compelled David to say in verse 6, Notice, surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. I mean, David realized that, that because the Lord was his, his shepherd, surely. In other words, it is inevitable because of the character of the shepherd that God's goodness and mercy would follow him. And God's goodness is that, that disposition which causes him actively to seek the well being of his creatures. And it suggests God's steady kindness. And it refers to that which promotes, protects, produces, and enhances life. And then His mercy, its uh, the Hebrew word hesed, it it means steadfast love. This is the well-known covenant word that describes God's faithful love to, to keep His covenant promises. And so David is telling us God's goodness and his faithful love will supply our needs and and forgive us when we fall into sin. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me. And the Hebrew word translated here is follow. It's it's much more uh, than that, and we miss it in our English translations. In Hebrew, it almost always means pursue. And often in the sense of pursuing someone to do harm or or to persecute them. Here, of course, it's not to harm or persecute, but the pursuit is, is intense. And David is saying that God's goodness and mercy, his steadfast love, will pursue his people continually. He's not going to let us out of his faithful, loving care. I don't know about you, but that encourages me. It means that through thick and thin and in every extremity of life, David knew God's goodness and mercy, God's steadfast love, were pursuing him and would never let him go. God is not only our our good shepherd, not only our lavish host, but he pursues us with goodness and mercy. I mean, the rest of the world pursues goodness and love, but we have God's goodness and love pursuing us. I mean, think about that. And these two blessings of God remain with us no matter what our circumstances may be because goodness and mercy are not the result of our efforts. We don't have to go looking for them. They follow us. They pursue us. God sends them and they pursue us every day of our life. David says as much. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And because he had seen so very much of God's faithful care in every conceivable situation, David knew that he could count on God's goodness and mercy all the days of his life, which simply means every day throughout his entire life. Every day. That means on days when I feel the Lord to be close to me and on days when I wander away from Him. We never have to question whether or not God's goodness and mercy are pursuing us. They are every step of the way, every day of our lives, throughout our entire lives. They pursue us in every circumstance and situation that confronts us. I mean, the, the joys and the sorrows, the, the mountaintops experiences and the, and the depths of sin. I mean, certainly they they do not condone our sin, far from it. Rather, they will bring guilt in our hearts for our sin, make us uncomfortable in our rebellion. They will tear our conscience to shreds in order to bring us back in repentance, but they never stop pursuing us if we belong to Christ, if we belong to the Good Shepherd. I mean, through thick and thin and in every extremity of life, God's blessings were pursuing David and so on a triumphant note David wrote, notice the last part of the verse, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. As David looked ahead he knew that he would be in the house of the Lord, the Father's house. And the house of the Lord is not a reference here to the temple. Because the king did not live in the temple, not only that, nobody could live there or anywhere else forever. This is a reference to heaven. Jesus used the same vocabulary to speak about heaven in John 14. The eternal dwelling place of the Lord where where there's unbroken fellowship with the Lord. That's what he's speaking about. And so David knew that even death would, would serve his greater good. It would usher him into God's immediate presence where he would enjoy the goodness and mercy of God forever and ever. And so David now looks beyond death to being with the Lord. Because what counts most is being with Him where He is. David had a close relationship with the Lord. And out of that intimacy came the longing to be with him in heaven. I mean, the desire of, of David's heart was to be with God, to dwell in God's house forever. And this entire psalm leads to God himself as the fulfillment of all of David's longings. And so with the longing heart, David said, I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever and the hope of being with Christ in heaven and and dwelling in the Father's house should be the longing of our hearts as well I mean this world is not our home and we're to be looking to our our heavenly home, the city with firm foundations whose architect and builder is God I mean our, our home is the place that Jesus has gone to prepare for us In my father's house, he said, are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself. Where I am, there you may be also. And in heaven, we will be free at last from sin. We'll be free from Satan. We'll We'll have new bodies. And the older I get, the more I appreciate that truth. 2 Corinthians 5, 1 and 2, Paul said, For we know that if our earthly house, this tent, is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For this we groan, earnestly desiring to be clothed with our habitation, which is from heaven. And so one of these days, those of us who belong to Christ, those, those of us who have followed him are going to be with him in heaven. And we're going to dwell forever in the glory of God himself. And he's going to wipe away every tear and and every bit of pain. And we will behold the face of the Lamb of God for eternity. And this is the hope of every child of God who has come out of darkness to follow Jesus Christ in the kingdom of his light and life. And if we don't have a longing to be with Christ, if we don't have a longing to be with him where he is, if we don't have a longing that keeps increasing the older we get to be with Christ, there is something seriously wrong. And it probably means we are in love with this present world. David said, I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. And that is not an arrogant presumption of David's heart. Because our confidence in getting to heaven is not based upon arrogant presumption. But rather it is based upon the Lord's promise that he has given us eternal life and that we shall never perish. John 10 verses 27 to 30 if you'd like to read it. And we should understand that for the believer not to get to heaven and dwell there forever, two impossible things would have to happen. For the believer not to get to heaven and dwell there forever, first of all, Christ would have to fail to keep his promise. And he would also have to fail to fulfill the assignment God has given to him to keep eternally safe all the redeemed, John 6:37 to 40, and to present them faultless one day before His throne, Jude 24 and 25. Secondly, God the Father would have to fail to hold all those in His hands secure. Because Jesus said, "I give in John 10:28 and 29, I give them eternal life and they will never perish." And no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. And so for the believer not to get to heaven and to dwell there forever, Christ would have to fail, and so would the Father. And that will never happen. Now the security of the believer depends upon the character of the shepherd. And so for us to dwell in the house of the Lord forever is not a mere possibility, it is an inevitability. Surely, goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. And so David ends the psalm with the calmest assurance that he would enjoy the presence of the Lord forever, both in his days on earth and beyond in the Father's house. You see, the provisions of God in this life are Just a small foretaste of what awaits us in the future. And there is a glorious day coming. The day when all of us, when all of God's people uh, will meet our shepherd in heaven. And there will be gathered around God's table in his everlasting house, our eternal dwelling, and no enemies and no bad or evil thing will be present there. Love ones, the greatest expression of the goodness and mercy of God awaits us in heaven where we will be with the Lord who cared for us every step of the way. And we will never, ever be separated from him. And the Lord, our shepherd, guarantees it. And we will have unbroken fellowship with our Lord and Savior forever and ever and ever and ever and ever and ever and ever. And ever. And so as we prepare to enter another year, and as we look at the situation in our nation, as we look at the situation around the world, as we see things getting darker and darker and worse and worse, we could be greatly encouraged this morning to know that the Lord is our shepherd. And because of that, we will never lack anything that we need, anything that he knows is good for us. And he's going to feed us. He's going to lead us into the green pastures of his word and beside the still waters of his word where we can find refreshment and spiritual nourishment so that we can come into a deeper and more intimate relationship with him. He's going to restore our souls, forgive us when we get off the right path and he's going to put us back on that right path and he's going to do so for his name's sake, because it's his reputation that's on the line. And when we enter the valleys of difficulty and trial and trouble, sorrow and grief, we don't have to fear because we know that he's with us and he's going to be with us every single step of the way. And he's going to bring us safely home one day. And there we will sit at the Lord's table. We'll sit down one day to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And we're going to dwell in the house of the Lord forever and ever. That's our future. And that's something that we should rejoice in. It's something that we should be encouraged by every single day. This is not all there is. Aren't you glad for that? No, we're on our way to our real home. I mean, we really are pilgrims and sojourners. And we are sheep in his pasture. And he is loving, leading, guiding, and directing protecting uh, protecting us every step of the way and he will all the days of our life. That's encouraging to me and I hope it is to you. Let's stand. On behalf of Pastor Jim Jarrett and everyone at Calvary Chapel, Reading, Palisadro, we hope and pray this study you just heard will help you grow in the Word. If you have any remaining questions or comments, please call us at 530 547 4400. That's 530 547 4400. Or write to us at PO Box 837, Palisadro, California 96073. You can also email us through the website at ccredding.com. Thank you for listening